Hi, this is Michelle Carlo, and this show is Fish Out of Agua. This week, we're sorry to say we have a giant, stuffly and sniffly, awful head cold that Santa Claus so thoughtfully brought us for Christmas, so we'll spare you from having to hear us hack our way through stories this week, and we'll close 2016 with three fabulous guest artist interviews that deserve to be rebroadcast, Aladdin Ula, Naima Hassan, and Linda Nieves-Powell. Think of it as our gift to you. While you think about this song from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young that captured a singular moment among many politically volatile moments of his time. From 1971, with love, guts, and freedom, Chicago. We're back with Fish Out of Agua from episode three, originally broadcast 11 29 guest artist Aladdin Ula. Hi, this is Michelle Carlo and Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And I'm sitting here, oh my God, we're doing like the total sneak shit today. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my home skidded Aladdin Ula. Say hi, Aladdin. Hello, I hope we don't get arrested. No, we're not going to be arrested. Oh my God, I feel like it's like 90s or like, I'm, we're sneaking. Um, I We we like kind of just like like hi, hijacked we, this hotel. We bum-rushed this hotel. Yeah, don't say the name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say it later. 
Yeah, we're in the auditorium of a basement of a hotel. Yeah, but we were already asked to leave like one place because we were not guests because I told the truth like a dummy. But then if we would have told the truth, I probably would have had like buy a $14 drink for both of us. I know, and it's so appropriate because I reminisce when I used to hang out with graffiti artists here and we used to do stuff on the down low and now we're here on the down low. Again. So let me let me um, backtrack a little bit. Aladdin Ula is a stand-up comedian and a solo theatrical performer who is has a bunch of shows going on so we're going to be talking with him in a couple of minutes about the work that he does the fabulous work that he does and why one of the reasons why i love aladdin so much is that he was one of the people that i picked when i used to do my it came from new york storytelling shows and what especially endeared me to him was that he grew up in spanish harlem the neighborhood that my parents grew up in although he's he's Pakistani, right? Bangla, Bangla, Bangla. Bangla Sorry, I yeah. know that's, like, that's okay. like if you would have called me Dominican, and I'm really Puerto Rican. It's similar, right? You're ready to fight? Oh uh, no! All right. So anyway. So um, yeah, so I was the first one in my family born in in America. So I was raised, born and raised in uh, East Harlem, El Barrio, and I grew up uh, amongst like right in the birth of hip hop. And during the early 80s, when it really kind of exploded, I was hanging out with a bunch of graffiti artists, break dancers, and it's like New York was like really at a different time. And um, you know, now it's like I've kind of morphed from comedian to writer, director, and I'm working on documentary films. And that was kind of by accident, because I was part of the Emerging Writers Group at the Public Theater, and I worked on a, bun a trilogy and my buddy who was getting his PhD at uh, NYU wanted to do his dissertation on the research that I had done about my family and them coming to East Harlem and marrying Puerto Ricans and African Americans. So the book kind of exploded. It came out a year ago. It's called Bengali Harlem. Ooh. And uh, it's on Harvard Press. You can get it on Amazon. And we're turning that into a documentary, which should be finished by next year, hopefully. That's fantastic. That's right, because you were away for like a, a eight months or something? Yeah, I was away. In the motherland. Yeah, I went to Bangladesh, and we shot all this beautiful stuff. So I kind of became a writer-director by accident because I just got tired of doing the stereotypical stuff. So instead of complaining about it, I just thought, well, why not just get behind the camera and start you know, writing and directing? So that's kind of how I kind of where I am now. I've been directing and writing and working on a new series that we're going to shoot next month. Um, so I, I kind of accidentally backed into writing and directing. Mm. I think most of the comedians that I know kind of got into writing because they sort of felt it was just a natural you know, evolution, progression to that. And that's kind of where I feel now. So it's always weird for me to go come back to New York. Like I travel a lot now. So when... I, before I met you today, I took a walk around Soho. It, it feels like another world. I feel like a foreigner in New York now. It's, I know, it's crazy. It's you, you feel, I, I don't feel like New York you is feel part like, of my home You anymore. feel like a stranger in your own city. I know. It's, it's yeah. like, it, I, said, I say this all the time. When we were young, and I'm going to say we're the same age. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It's all good. It's all good. We all remember that 90s, man, and some of the 80s, too. Anyway, I always say that um, when we were young, like very young, 
people would come to New York because it was the only place where they could pursue their dreams. Yeah. And they came here on a promise and a prayer, and they came here because they loved what New York City stood for because they couldn't be who they were, where they came from, and they wanted to make the city their own. And if they yeah. got married, they would raise their children here. But now people treat this place like it's a disposable friggin' amusement park. But it's also, too, like when you travel, like this is what trips me out about traveling. Like when I go to other countries, right, like the economic difference, you have to travel miles. In New York, it's like across the street. You know, like one, like on 96th Street was the Mason-Dixon line, you would have like poor people and across the street it'd be millionaires. Now what's surreal for me is like they're moving into the hood. So I know. Now, so it's weird for me. So when I go like to the South Bronx, because I remember back in the day, I dated someone from Brook Avenue and Cypress Avenue, that area. Mm -hmm. And now, like, they're having boutiques and all that in, like, the South Bronx. Oh, they're calling it Sobro. Ill. Yeah, and I'm Ill. in close Spanish Harlem Spa. Huh? No. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I know. I con so, I please. So, I know. So, so it's weird, you know, like, I don't see the it as a neighborhood no more. I just see it as, yeah. like, well, it's just where people are occupying space now. Yeah. I mean, you know, but New York City has evolved over time. It will evolve again, you know, 50 years ago. I mean, f and then 50 years from now, people are going to be, I, I, but I can't imagine people saying, oh, they're tearing down the condos to build space stations. I mean, like, what, what, like, what? Well, I don't know, like, next. See, like, you know, like, in my neighborhood, in El Barrio, we used to have those botanicas mm -hmm. where you could get, like, you would joke, like, someone being in the back, you know, killing chickens, you know, and then they'd have all this incense and stuff. So now the botanicas are gone for, like, 7-Elevens. Mm. And I feel like there should be a rule of you replace something cultural, you should put something cultural back in its place, not a 7-Eleven. I know, right? How do you replace a botanica with a... With a 7 I guess it's worshiping at a different altar. Worshiping a Slurpee. I want to get back to um, something that we were talking about a few minutes ago, which was you getting into writing and producing your own shows. I know that for me, I started doing my own work because I could not get cast. It was like whenever I went to a casting, if it was for a Latin person, I was not Latin enough. And then if yeah. I went to a casting for a Caucasian person, there was just something off about me. So when I wasn't getting cast in anybody else's yeah. work, and I was like, well, screw this. I'm just going to write and perform for myself, which is what I've been doing for like the past 15 years. Yeah, and it is weird because you and I kind of have that same similarity. Like we, once we show our New York accent, like I go to auditions when I start out, they're like, yeah, we're looking for a terrorist. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm so far from the terms. Well, what about a cab driver? And I would just do impressions of my dad, but I would feel like I'm so not into it. And every agent or manager that I was into, that I was being represented, they would try to sell it. Like, but Aladdin, you're going to make a lot of money. This is the way to go. And I do it, but my heart wasn't into it. I love doing stand-up, but, you know, the jump to TV and film was like, I'd have to do this new minstrel show. And mm. I just, it's like my heart wasn't in it. And it's funny because, you know, Aziz Ansari did it in his new episode. Yes. And I was talking about that 15 years ago about how, you know, in the auditions it would be me, Asad Manvi, and another actor, Ajay Naidu. We used to go to all the auditions, wow. and we would joke about how they'd always ask us to do it with an accent. And we're like, right, they always, you always have to use yeah, that. In, yeah. the, in the name of Allah, we will desecrate your nation. And I'm like, when do I just get to be like a New Yorker or a friend without an accent that's trying to blow up a building or take someone to Queens? So I just felt like the casting directors was, they didn't know that they were racist. So it was kind of weird, like we would have to be subtle and say, well, you know, like people don't really talk like that. And you know, everyone in New York who's Muslim doesn't really talk. At one time, this casting director, it was for law and order, I don't care, say that. They said, 
Do it with a Muslim accent. A Muslim accent. <laughs> Ideals. Like, oh my accent? God. And what did you do? What was your Muslim accent? I, I told him there's no do, such thing as a Muslim accent. Oh, you should have tried to do something terrible. Well, the worst, I got kicked out. You should have done a British accent. No, this is the best. I got <laughs> I got kicked out because they said do it with an accent. So I did it with an uh, Irish accent. Sure, the neighborhood. And they were like, get out, get out. They didn't think well, it was Well, good funny. for you. Well, I think it's funny. And then I, then I realized, okay, well, then I don't want to be going to auditions. And then I just kind of like, I, I did it backwards. People go from theater to film. I went from film back to theater. And I got to the public theater, and we was an emerging writers group, and I just kind of really studied the craft of playwriting and just kind of started from back to basics and how do you write a good story and That's how do you, you know, really kind of navigate your career and, like, work that you would be proud of, not that work that you're, like, when your friends would be like, yo, when you going to be playing the next terrorist? Oh, <laughs> like, my God. So was... your work, I'm going to take it, is very personal. It is. And, you know, the solo show that I did, I got to travel all over the world with it. And, um, you know, the funny thing about theater, even if you're a success, maybe 900 people will see it. I know, right? It's true. <laughs> so even theater, even like when you're touring stand-up, it's like your yeah. mother will be like, when are you going to get a real job? Like, I know. Please. And, and, you know, like all of your friends, like you grew up with, it's like, yo, man, when are you going to get your own series? When are you going to blow up? When are you going to be, you know, the man? Yeah. It's hard to explain like this in with your friends. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. You know? I, I have a cousin that's asked me when I'm going to be in a movie with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, yeah, you can and just I'm kinda... just like, oh, next month. I mean, what? How do you answer something like that? I had a relative. Oh, they'll tell, tell you me, like, why don't you speak to Mark Anthony? Can yeah, Mark Anthony exactly, get you a exactly. Job? Well, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Oh, Lynn, if you're listening, we we need jobs now. And like somebody had said to me once that I, I wrote a book. I mean, Fish Out of Agua. That's what the yeah. show was about. And someone said that I had a relative tell me once that the book didn't count because it wasn't on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, it didn't count. But, you know, we're joking about this, but therein lies, like, the yeah. deeper question is, like, yeah. what's the definition of success? And why do our stories matter, Aladdin? Yeah. Why, why shouldn't we, as, as POC, people of color, artists of color, Latino, and, um, oh, God, you know, and Bangla, kind of, like, do we need to just shut up? Or yeah, do we know, need to keep talking? I know, say we need to keep talking. And I, I think the work, it, it's really about, like, how do you feel passionate about what you're doing? Because... You know, one of my mentors early on was Paul Mooney, and Paul was Richard Pryor's writer, and he's, mm. he's kind of known on the underground. He's, you know, a lot of people do know him, but compared to, say, like Pryor or George Carlin or Seinfeld, he isn't a mainstream comedian. But when I would see Paul Mooney, I would say, wow, I don't know a lot of comedians who are funnier than Paul. And the thing about Paul, he was like a jazz musician. People knew he was good. And I always thought, like, that is, like, the way to kind of approach your art is really... Are you getting to the truth? Are you yes. really doing something that, that lasts, that has longevity? And that's kind of like where I kind of made a transition in my career where I said, you know, I was trying to become famous, and I was in my early 20s, and I was doing okay. But then I realized, you know, I don't feel proud of this work. I don't stand by it. And, you know, once I hit 30, I was like, okay, I got to really do work that I'm a lot more proud of. And I what, think what happened I, when you hit 40? Oh, my God. You start, <laughs> I just started drinking more. <laughs> like, we're going to get busted. We are, I mean, you don't know what we did, people. We basically this just walked into a friggin' hotel. We, this is like typical. And we ain't, we ain't dressed good either. This, this is like. We'll this, dress the right, well, but. This is like typical hood stuff. They told us we couldn't be in the lobby, so we was like, fuck this. We went downstairs to the basement and bum rushed the auditorium. Yeah, we're like sitting here in the private screening room and stuff, and I even went and closed the door just so we can get out. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is crazy. So um, tell me a bit about the work that you're doing right now and where we can find you. 
Well, I'm I'm finishing up the documentary Bengali Harlem. Uh, it is you can check out the website B E N G A L I Bengali Harlem, and that's also the name of the book Bengali Harlem. And we're about to shoot a series, which we're uh, still kind of in negotiations. We're going to shoot the first episode, and that's the work that I really, really like. It's a screwball comedy about uh, a guy who's really a dope, who's played by myself, who accidentally uh, gets mistaken for shooting the video of an officer who kills a uh, young black man. Oh, so, got so, topical. Yeah, so shoot. it's it's uh, oh my god, it's been really catching a lot of steam, and we're just gonna shoot the first two episodes and kind of see where it goes from there. So I'm kind of in the midst of still meetings and all that showbiz stuff. So I'm kind of doing that, and um, yeah, that's been taking up my time. So the next wow. three three months, that's what I'm probably gonna be. So doing. 2017, we're gonna be hearing and seeing some big things from you. Yeah, and I've also been approached because Trump is back on doing the solo show, and the solo show was the one that I developed in the public theater, the Dishwasher Dreams. And you don't know how much I admire you for that. That is my dream: is to be on stage at the public theater. I I want to get into that program. You know, it was funny because there's a a, a friend of mine. He's on the Daily Show. I don't want to mention his name. He would always say, you know, we're never gonna get to the public theater, public theater. And uh, when I did one of my plays, he was there at the public theater, and I just felt like, well, this is how it's got to be done. I believe there's people of color who I love, and I've put them in my plays, and I just feel there's so much talent. There's so much black and brown people out there that are not getting the love. And, and beige. I, yeah, well, brown, brown, you know. Beige, you know. But it's just like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, I don't think it's just writers. I also think, like, we have yeah. to start taking over. That's why we I'm do. I really, there was a point a couple of years ago I was like, ah, this business sucks. But then when I see like Atlanta and all that, Atlanta's the first TV show that has an all-black writing team. It shows you that. Wow. I think I did not know that. Yeah, there's a new generation that's taking over. We don't need to ask permission Good. to do the work. I think the internet and there's this whole, what I call a hip-hop aesthetic, like, you know, you wouldn't allow us in your clubs, we'll break dance on the corner. You don't allow us into your galleries, We'll just tag graffiti all over. I think we got to get back to the basics yeah. of that. You want to let us into your lobby in the hotel? We'll go downstairs. We go downstairs <laughs> and we hijack it. <laughs> we're in the auditorium. All right. I, I think, I, I, well, we're running on the 15-minute mark, so we're going to, like, close it and get out and not get greedy. So this is Michelle Carla from Fish Out of Agua talking to Aladinula, who's got a lot of good stuff going on. It's been fun. It's been real. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right. The cops are coming. Gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn from episode 5. Originally broadcast 12-3-16, guest artist Naima Hassan. Hi, this is Michelle Carlo, Fish Out of Agua, Radio Free Brooklyn. And um, I'm sitting here right now with a quite accomplished and beautiful lady of my long, long acquaintance. We both wore purple today, unknowingly. Yeah. We, did, we did not plan this out because I always say great minds think alike. I know this woman from way back, of course, in the art store days at Surf Reality and Collective Unconscious. I performed alongside her at spaces too numerous and sometimes too torturous to mention. <laughs> yeah. She and her lovely husband, who shares a characteristic with me, that we're both redheads. Please welcome to the radio show, um, Naima. Hassan, artist, educator, activist, and 
many other things. And human being. Yes, yes. Thank you, Michelle. I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, please. You were like one of the first people that I thought of. And you you had asked me why I wanted to speak with you. And I said, well, first it was like, why wouldn't I want to speak with you? Uh, Because of just like all the great work that you and um, Epstein have done over the, I'm going to guess, 20 long years of our acquaintance. Yep, we've been married for 30, performing for over 20. Yeah, and, and you know, we go back to the 20th century together. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. the other reason I wanted to speak with you is that you're also an educator. And yes. as an educator, you are charged with inspiring and creating the next generation of hopefully some artists and writers who will take this conversation forward when you and I have left uh, the building. I, I, I am so about inspiring And it comes from everybody needs to have a voice. Everybody has one, but it's really about finding it. And Miles Davis made a statement, comment many, many years ago. It takes sometimes a lifetime to find your true voice. Mm. And in finding that true voice, what you want to have is wisdom, common sense, and no fear. Mm. So for me and my work, um, I really have been working on the past years being in a place where I have no fear around my work, I'm even not even concerned about my reputation, meaning that if it's coming from a good place, if it's coming from my heart, if it's coming from a place of wanting to inspire, because the the thing is, being an artist, it's not just about what you think, it's what you're putting out there. That is what's very important to me. I have always done work that was not quote-unquote mainstream, whatever that means. This is true. And I made a conscious choice to do that. And I remember I was auditioning for um, Ain't Misbehaving. And I was sitting there, and a bunch of the uh, actresses where everybody was vocalizing, walking around, talking about how much work they was doing. And my thought was that if we were all that damn busy, we wouldn't be here. And I remember thinking, I want to create my own work. Hmm. I I have a voice, and I want to do something. And the next role that I got was in Intezaki Shange's piece. And that kind of really inspired me. The character I played, it wasn't um, for Colored Girls. It was um, one of her other plays. And I played this character who had had a child but uh, lost the child. And I remembered after the show, people were uncomfortable coming to me because the character was so real. And I realized that I want to give voice to people who uh, we don't always want to hear from. Mm. It's My life has never been about just being comfortable. It's about being free. And um, I've never really worried about what people thought about whenever I was doing my work because... I've always experienced a lot of yeses and a lot of noes. People either like or they don't like. Right. So it's really about then what does it mean to me? Now, in terms of inspiring students, I have worked in this environment being a um, uh, theater teacher for over 10 years. Really? Wow. Uh, just in this school alone. And my job is to inspire, motivate, and pull out that seed that's in there. And my experience has been today, a lot of young people are actually scared. Yes. Of being, um, um, have an imagination. Yes. Um, Oh, my God. They're scared of of creating outside the box now more than ever. Yes. I actually said to one of my classes, I said, I'm more of a radical than you are. 
I believe it. Oh my God, I did a presentation at Brooklyn College today with, with fish out of agua, and these are college students. They were 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, and they were looking at me, okay, this is radio, so picture me on the radio with my mouth open and my eyes like pinwheels. I'd like, Yes. And, we, yes. We, and, and they were like, well, how, how do you do that? I'm like, you don't have to know how to do it. If you want to do something, you just do it. I said, is anybody here ever hear of punk rock? And believe it or not, a good number of those young people had heard of punk rock. I said, well, they just decided that they were going to be musicians and they didn't give a shit if they knew how to play the guitar or Absolutely. not. They were just going to friggin' do it. So just DIY, Absolutely. man, just do it. But it's not, it's, it's, we have created a society that the formula is already written for you. Yes. So there's um, we we we're tricked because people look like they're punk. They look mm-hmm. like they're radical. You know, everybody has a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Years ago on the Lower East I Side, don't. if you had a tattoo, I'm, I'm not police. I don't have one either. I don't have. I have piercings, but I don't have a tattoo. Yeah. But it's so for me, it's really about. Uh, being fearless. It's really about um, yeah. putting it out there. And it's a thin line because not only do I just want to put my work out there, I really want to inspire people. Um, you know, with the election going on, everybody, when was the world ever peaceful? Never. When, so it's kind of I mean, not like, in my lifetime. Well, it's kind of like um, we're all shook by it. And, you know, yes, there is a lot going on. There's a lot of voices happening. And for me, one of my saving grace that has really helped me handle this is that I'm a meditator. Mm. I've been meditating for 15 years because what you have to realize is the external things that are happening out here, they have always happened because we want to dominate people. Yes. We want to rule people. Yes. We're uncomfortable if people aren't doing it our way. Yes. And as I say a lot of times to my students, just because you have an opinion, it's not that deep. Everyone has one. Yes. Everyone Preach. has one. Well, you Everyone can say your opinions are like assholes, yes. but you don't want yes. to say that no, to middle no, schoolers. No, no. no wait, wait, wait till they're, <laughs> yes. wait till they're yes. in ninth grade to tell it. them they're they an asshole. It. They get it. They get it. Oh, they get my it. God. They get it. You know, I think that the last time, I mean, you and I are basically peers in age. They may be a sprinkle of years between us, but I think oh, we, you're have, so sweet. We, have some of the, we have some of the same memories in <laughs> common, I, I believe. And I think that the last time that people would just polarize like this and freak the fuck out like this was in the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother telling me that they thought that 1968 was the worst year ever mm-hmm. because uh, they killed Kennedy, another kid, the second Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy. They killed uh, Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and there were riots everywhere and people really thought that people were going to be lying in the streets spread eagle with their throat slit from ear to ear. People would just so freaked out. And what came out of that? The Young Lords came out of that. A lot of protests came out of that. A lot of we good don't realize came out of that. And a lot of bad came out of that. We don't realize our potential. And it's every individual has to really look at. Uh, you can change the world, but you have to be really honest because right now it's like we're almost letting everybody do it for, for us. Do you think it's because of uh, social media? I think social media is uh, not the full reason, but it's an excuse to kind of let uh, an opinion come to you. Uh, We don't, there's no space to investigate. Something comes up. And and then boom, you react or you. Right. But I want to tell you a situation um, when you talk about strength and talk about being um, a woman and being powerful, um, you know, we technically say uh, we want that, but um, I had a couple of students say to me, Miss Hassan, I really, 
I really admire you, but sometimes um, you you're 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 a little too tough. So I I no 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 I investigated this. I said so. Tell me women you admire. Oh Rihanna, uh, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and I said, and what do you like about them? And they said, well, they're strong women. I said, and you think if you worked for these women, they would make you accountable? And they said, yeah. I said, what's the difference hmm. between them and me? Uh, now I'm going to ask years? you. No, color. I'm a dark complexion woman. Oh, and Beyond, Rihanna and Beyonce and, are more. And, they they present more mix. And it's funny because they didn't want to come out and say it. But if you look at how people are perceived, we a lot of times judge people on what they physically look like. I've been on the phone with people, and they were shocked because they thought I was white because of how I speak. Well, you speak like an educator. I speak like a Brooklyn bum. No, (laughs) Get out of here. But, you know, the the thing was in terms of what a powerful woman look like. And I said, you think you want to be one. You think you want to be around one. You are around one right now. And it's not comfortable to you. It's not comfortable because there's no precedent for it. There's no, there's, there's, they have no experience with it. And because it's the unknown, therefore it must be shown. You don't, you don't, they, they're not looking at in their own community, the image that they need is right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you don't, I said to them, you don't know Rihanna, you don't know Beyonce, you don't know Taylor Swift, you have an experience of me five days a week. Right, and so you know me. So you know me. I've been there for you, I know your life. And it made them look at um, how they don't look at their community for their resources. And it's very, very important. I think that when we talk about empowering, I think that when we talk about we want to change, we have to really be honest and look at um, racism is an illness. It's a mindset that was taught. And just like someone is racist, they need to heal. So do people who believe that they are worthless. So do people who believe that because of what their ethnic background is, that they are worth. So my point is everyone needs to heal right now. And if you look at the world, it's a representation of how we think. And we're all scared. We're all walking around saying, please love me, but you know, I don't want you to pick it up. So I'm going to look like I'm tough. People are not sleeping at night. Relationships are falling apart because we're looking for our happiness. We're looking for everything external. And what you need to build up is your inner core, that is your true. wisdom, your strength, um, your compassion. Yes. Yes. Let's, let's, and let's bring this back to our art and how we can use that as a weapon to combat this crisis. I think I think that um, art is a vehicle for you to put out there an opportunity for people to look at something, generate a thought. I don't I don't put my work out there and say you're going to like it or not like it. You know, all artists, we're, we're a contradiction because you want a full house. You want to make a living doing it. Um, most artists, you know, people view us as being flighty. We work three and four jobs right. just we're trying the, to hold it together. We're the least flighty people ever. We uh, are the most practical people. Yes, so like, yes, yes. Uh, we, we, uh, we're on uh, zero uh, in terms of energy, just generating and putting it out there. And today... 
Mm, it's actually even harder to get support as an artist if you're outside the box. Yes. You try to do a comedy club, you've got to bring 15 people. Yep. They have to spend $15. So my point is one of the reasons that I started doing my own work was yes, because I, I wanted to this. be yes. in control of it. Yes. Um, I wanted to not have someone tell me, well, this is to this and this is to that. So I said, you know what? I called it the Frank Zappa. I'm going to write it. I'm going to produce it. I'm going to put it out there. And guess what? There's a market for us. And we found it and we tapped into it. And I say to anyone that wants to be an artist, anyone who believes they have a gift to give, something to share, trust it. You have to trust it. You have to know that you're going to get no's. You have to trust it. You have to know that you're going to get no's and then you have to let it go and do it. Yep. Yeah. You have to, you just have to put it out there and not have any expectations for it. You can't say that, well, if this doesn't happen, that I'm not going to do this. Or if that doesn't happen, I'm not going to do that. You just well, have to keep going forward. You absolutely. have to keep going forward because I too have that similarity with you is that I went to writing and producing my own work because I wasn't getting casted. I remember going to this big seminar at the public theater for Latinos in acting and I stood up and I remember saying to the depend because they were taking questions mm -hmm. and I was like well when I go on an audition for a white character they they say to me well you don't really look white what are you and I say I'm Puerto Rican they say well you don't really have that look we want uh. and then when I go for a Latin part they say to me I look white and I say what am I supposed to do and one of the panelists who is actually a pretty famous person I'm not going to mention their name because I don't I don't want to give them the satisfaction but they said to me well you should just pass pass yeah Yes, that should just pass. Now, if you're not a person, well, that, of, if you're not a person of color, maybe that word doesn't have a, a, a bad connotation to you. But it's but you I, know I'm what? supposed to deny. But you know who what? That that is a choice that you can make, and the 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 decision is up to you. How do you want to do this? I'm very clear. Um, if I wanted to go another route, it would be easier in terms of what it looks like externally. What I know is that I've created a body of work that no one else has ever done before. Yes, absolutely. And our work doesn't have a color, a, a gender. It's a mindset. Our audiences are diverse. You can be from 18 to 60. All you have to do is you love better to be laugh. 18. <laughs> All you got to do is like to laugh, come, think, and have compassion. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. Compassion. And that's it. But that's what that person told me. And I was like, well... Forget this because I'm not going to deny my family and my heritage and who I am to satisfy one person. And that's when I started creating my karma fungal character, which led to other shows, which led to storytelling, which led to me exploring the being the fish out of water, the fish out of agua. And so, like, my whole work since then has been like these types of stories that so people know who we, who we were and why we mattered. And see, the thing is, I remember I uh, just read something by. Uh... Maya Angelou, that when she was talking about she was raped, she stopped talking, and she said that she read everything so that when she did start talking, she had a whole lot to say. Oh, that's amazing. And I my, mean, it's horrible that that happened, but... But out of that, out what of that, she was yeah. talking about was out of that situation came such greatness. And out of right now, mm. this is a great time for artists. Yeah. Right now, if you have a voice, put it out there, it is... I am so inspired by what's going on now because what I do, the voice needs to be heard. Yes. Um, 
And I love that. I have no fear about it. You can't worry about if you're stepping on a toe, step on the whole goddamn foot. I'm fine with that. Um, it's important right now that you not worry about whether or not you are correct. Yes. Uh, politically correct. It's It's not about that right now. It's really about... Offering a platform because guess what? People want it. They need it. They need it. They need it. They're desperate for it. Yes. There, I really see when I go on the social and I just see just like these spoutings of people. They are de desperate and desolate. There's a yes. desolation in people's yes. souls yes. right now. Yes. And it comes from a depth of this alliteration that I don't think people have experienced mm -hmm. in their lives at all. I think maybe the only people who know this type of desolation have been the people that have lived through an actual war, yes. which would have been people yes. my parents' age yes. who were children during yes. World War yes. II and yes. had to endure actual privation. And for we don't, we have no fucking clue what war is yes. like in this country. No. And we just like front, 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 front. But you know what? We're out of, I think we're out war now. I mean, I don't care if that's seditious or not. We're at a mm -hmm. war now. Mm -hmm. It may not be a guns and grenades, a Molotov cocktail war, but there is a war going on. Well, it's a different, it's, it's, it's a lot of different things going on. And I think uh, because our society is so apt, meaning the app and computers, we're trying to get the right, everybody wants to get the answer. You can't get the answer right now. Everybody no. wants to get the solution. Uh, we're in the middle of it. Um, Donald Trump uh, just didn't get here. Hillary Clinton just didn't get here. Right. These mindsets have existed. Uh, we have to look at the kind of world we want to live in. Um, the pl Nobody's dealing with global warming. Nobody's dealing with no. the planet is falling apart. No. Um, you know, being an artist is a great thing, but what's even greater to me is being a human being that has compassion, uh, someone who um, my work is a vehicle uh, it, it, it represents what's truly in my heart. Um, I'm not interested in sitting there arguing with you about your political platform. You have that. Uh, you really, when you're on these social media sites, you're not changing how people feel. No. Um, you're just, either they agree with you or they don't agree with you. My point is, is your life working? Right. Is this point of view uh, keeping you up at night? Yeah. Is this point of view opening up your heart? And that's, for me, what my work is. When I'm inspiring students, I always say to them all the time, it's not just about you. Right. It's not just about you. Um, it's If you're an artist, you're planting. It's not just about you. Naima, when I grow up, can I be you? You I want to be you. I am oh, walking please. out of here like so friggin' elevated, speaking with this glorious, lovely, amazing, funny, fierce, fearless woman wearing purple. Um, do you want to talk about where you and Stephen will be next? Uh, yes, we're doing at the Alchemical Theater, actually the um, 16th and 17th of this month. Which is December. Which is December, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Of yes. 2016. Yes, yes. And yeah, nobody ever um, gives the year. They yes. always just say the date. I guess I assume that, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. That. And um, our show is called The Black and the Jew Go Buddhist, and our work is about our life, and our life is about our work. That is so awesome. Naima, thank you so much. And last but not least, from Episode 6 of Fish Out of Agua, originally broadcast 12-2016, guest artist Linda Nieves-Powell, only on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
Hi, this is Michelle Carlo back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. So I'm sitting here today with our guest artist this week. She's someone that I know from back in the 20th century. Oh my God, does it go back to a date with our dead husband, Hector? A date with my dead husband, I, Hector. I think it could be before that. Oh, my God. So I'm going to say at least 1995, which uh, don't do any math, people. So please welcome, um, oh, my God, I love this woman so hard. For so many years, we've been, like, doing the, fighting the good fight and struggling the struggle. And um, we are both producers and theater artists and published authors and so much more. And here we are together after all this time still doing the do. Please welcome Linda Nieves Powell. Oh my gosh, thank you, Michelle. This is this is fantastic. Oh, great. So what, the interview or what I'm doing it? <laughs> what you're doing and the fact that we can come together and always talk about where we're at. I know. This is crazy. I mean, this literally, I mean, when was a date with my dead husband, Hector? That was in 1995, oh but I think God. it was prior to that because I remember being at a some sort of place where Rosie Perez was yes. there and you stood up. Yes, that was, the, I talked about this last week too. It was the Latinos in Acting Conference at the Public Theater. And Your mind is better than mine. Yes, and I, and I stood up and I asked, um, like, I would go for a casting for white people and they would say, well, you don't look, like, you look kind of off. And then I would say I was Puerto Rican and then be like, no, thank you. And then I would go to a casting for Latino people right. and then they'd be like, well, you look white. And I'd be like, what do I do? And somebody who's going to remain nameless said to me, said that I should go for, for the white person's casting. In other words, they wanted me to pass. Uh, oh, I never leave anybody nameless. I'm, I always I'm, I'm, I don't want to say it. I, I don't want to say it. But you know, it's not worth it. It's not it's worth true. it. It's, it's true. It's not worth it. So, um, but, and this is not about me, this is about you. So I want you to talk about um, your trajectory as an artist from just oh, the 20th century. Geez, that's, that's, that's a lifetime of stuff. Um, well, it started with John Leguizamo. It's okay. easy to start there because that's exactly when it started in 1993 with uh, Mambo Mouth. Oh my God, I love that play. Yeah, and it really, really, really changed my life. Um, Spicarama was next, and I just saw this person talk about Latino characters in a way that I had never done, had seen it before, and it freed something in me. And I n didn't write anything before, but I decided to do what he did. So what were you doing in 1993 when you first uh, saw Mambo uh, Mouth? I was in a horrible relationship. I was just getting out of it five years. Were you acting? Were you what? I was doing nothing. Nothing oh. in the arts oh. whatsoever. And you saw John Leguizamo and that changed your life? And I swear, the following day, I wrote an entire play. Oh, my God. Was it a date with my dead husband, Hector? No. no. It was... <laughs> I'm um, going to leave this alone. It was... It was. I can't believe I can't remember the name. That's okay. I, it'll come back to you. Skip. Okay. But my uh, the first person who wrote, uh, read it was my mom. And she was hysterical laughing. Oh, good. And that's the piece that I brought to the Puerto Rican Traveling Theater's uh, playwriting workshop. Right, with Alan, Alan Davis. Davis. The third. Is he still alive? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> no, he was such a nice man. Is oh, such a nice man. And Miriam Cologne was still there. Yes. And um, I'll never forget an actress by the name of Eileen Galindo. I know her. Awesome woman. She read the piece and said, Linda, you have to submit this to a writer's workshop in L.A. It was the Kaplan... Steve Kaplan was, was putting together some sort of contest. Anyway, it placed really well there. Wow. And if it wasn't for her, because the workshop at the Puerto Rican Traveling Theater really just made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm not a writer. You know, all the critiques got to me. Right. But it was Eileen and the fact that I placed well 
in that other contest that made kept you, me going. So it made you think that this is a possibility. It was meant to be based on the fact that I put, I, I, you know, I was validated somewhere else. Right. No, you get a thick skin when you're in art school and they put all your shit up on the wall and they critique. <laughs> so it's just like, oh my God, it's so hard. It's so hard. But but she was a champion. I never knew that. Oh, yes. Yes. And she was she um, was kind to me also when wow. I first started out. See? Yes. Eileen Galindo. Thank you. Gracias. I always give her a shout out. Yeah. Always. Uh-huh. We have to let her know about this. Yes. So then what happened? And then um, I just kept writing. It was a bug in me. I just kept wow. writing, and then I wrote a, a day with my dead husband, Hector. And didn't that win some HBO thing? That that's the that's the same contest. Oh, okay. That is the same contest. Oh, okay. And um, yes, it did. Yeah. So explain what the HBO contest was. It was um, you could submit anything. You could. I wonder if it was just Latinos. I'm not sure because there was a lot of Latinos. No, it was not just Latinos. It was definitely something that there was like three thousand submissions a year. You could. And her monologues, plays. Wow. And just a bunch of stuff. I wish I would have known that. Anyway. It was great for um, uh, beginners. Yeah. Yeah. Because you didn't know where you were. Right. You, know, you didn't know where you, f- where you could fall into. Exactly. And then it was a day with my dead husband, Hector. And then Amigos and Dreams. And I remember that. I discovered that nobody wants to produce your stuff, so you have to produce your own stuff. So I learned how to produce. I worked with Veronica Caicedo at Lateas. She directed a few of my first pieces. Um, we and did one with Papo, Papo, Papoletto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. I remember something being in a couple plays. Yeah, the junkie and the clock or something. The yes. junkie stole the clock. <laughs> Very good. Oh I can tell you, I can't, I can't remember anything. So, uh, but I took some time off after that because I, I was, it was a lot of hard work, and it did, and I did really well, and then suddenly something was happening in me, and this whole thing about yo soy Latina. Mm. I am Latina regardless of whether I can speak Spanish or not, and you know, or you know, like rock and roll or whatever. And this theme kept coming up. And my baby was two years old. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning for three weeks straight, and I was truly inspired. Wow! This was after my grandmother passed away too, and I think wow. I feel like that had a lot to do with keeping her alive in some That's way. That's so funny because my grandma passed in 94 and it was right after that that I decided to devote my life to performing. See? See, abuela. They, they have, Here we there's are. There's a connection there because you so, do want to keep it alive. So they're hanging out in El Cielo looking yes. at us. <laughs> and I swear it was like that experience, the Yosa Latina experience was incredible because it lasted and it could have kept going but I got tired, but yeah. it lasted a very long time. And can I, full disclosure, I auditioned multiple times for a part in there, which I never got, but it's You know fine. why? Why? Oh, now the truth comes no, out. No, no. It has nothing to okay. do with talent. It has everything to do with characters. Ah. Everything to do with the specific type of characters that right, we're Right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah. I love you. You know Depend- that. I know, though. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> So, okay, so, so, but then I, okay, so another full disclosure, after Yo Soy Latina, which describe what that play was about. It was about. I, I am a Latina. I am a Latin woman. It was about six Latina women who come together at a workshop to, to figure out what this uh, Latina word means to them. And uh, the facilitator never arrives, and they wind up having to answer this question on their own. Mm. It's funny. You cry. They find their, you know, similarities and their differences, and it, did so incredibly well on the college circuit. We had a, a regional um, offer for a run. We had off-Broadway performances. There was a uh, Tony Award-winning um, theater crossroads that did a, what do you call it, equity production? Mm-hmm. Actually, the equity production 
Gina Rodriguez was uh, in it. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's good. I was gonna say like a virgin, Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin. <laughs> you can tell where I'm from. Yeah, uh, 80s, holla, <laughs> 90s, holla. Yeah, Gina was in it. Um, yeah, it was really really great. And the thing that I really loved about that play was that it showcased all of us in our rainbow. There was, I yeah. remember the part that I was trying to audition for was a girl that was, I think, half Cuban and half Irish yes. or something. And, yes. I thought, and I thought, well, I'm a shoe in I have red hair and freckles. Yeah. And there were girls that varying, varying shades of beige, brown, and black in and, this production. And stories. And stories. Yes. And stories about how being who you are affected you and being who you were affected how you were perceived not just by the outside world but by people within your own friggin family and sometimes now, and now you know years later with the help of the internet and everything's going on and truth coming out that we weren't crazy in thinking that we felt like outsiders no now it's clear yes, that yes. we are outsiders well, that was one of the things that triggered me writing fish out of agua was because of the the attitudes with that exact thing in my right. own family directed at my own mother by some of her own family. Right. And I was just like, no, I wanted to out this skeleton in the, in the Latin closet because it's, we do worse to ourselves than other people can do to us sometimes. Because it's about the colonized mind. You th do you think that's what it I is? I truly believe that we are conditioned to believe certain things about ourselves and it takes a lot of unlearning to get to a point where you can accept anyone to look anyway regardless of who they are because if you notice it was just a lot of silly little things our parents and maybe their parents believed in when they came here yeah. but they did that as a survivor thing yes they, it was a survivor they, yeah. mechanism so that they can navigate this world without being they didn't want to cause too much attention yeah and also they wanted to be american when my yes. my 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 dad's yeah. family came here, I, I, that's always joked that I'm a Mayflower Puerto Rican because my dad says true. My dad's family came here in 1928, and my mom's family came here in uh, from where from from Cabo Rojo. From my Puerto dad's family Rican, came from really? in 1928. Wow. That's why they, that's why we met. That's why my family, my dad's family, was the joke is that we're Mayflower. My mom came here. And I think in 1938, when she was like five or six. So I know most of the migration happened after World War II, and all yes. my family was here before, before. World That's interesting. War II. So That's like they wanted to be assimilated. That's why my parents did not did not teach us Spanish because I think they didn't want us to have any stigma or any. Uh, problems with school that they had had, not realizing, of course, that it's like, you know, 30, 25, 30 years after the fact, and now the pendulum has gone the other way, where if you don't have that bilingualism, it's like, well, what did your parents do wrong? Well, I think it depends on where you were brought up yeah. and who your parents are, because mm. for me, my parents were one way in the house and a completely different and you're way Puerto outside, Rican. and I'm Puerto Rican, yeah. so you could always tell when my mother was on the phone with a white person. Um. It was a whole different dialect. It was this, she was playing, how, what's that word? There's a word, anyway, I don't know what it is. But um, Will Smith does it a lot. Playing that role? No, it's going back and forth. There's a word for that. But um, we'll, get to, we'll get back to that. <laughs> but yes, it's, um, you know, so, so we had to be one way in the house. So I didn't have to speak Spanish. They spoke Spanish, so I picked it up, but mm. I never practiced it because when I went to school, there was no one Spanish. Oh. I was, I was, you know, it's pretty much, I grew up in the city. Did you grow up in Staten Island? No, I grew up in uh, 61st and 1st. Oh my God, right behind Lincoln Center. No, no, right no, no, e e no, no, east side. Did you go to Cathedral? 
I went to old, uh, Our Lady of Perpetual. Okay, Hall. because cathedrals on Fifty Seventh, and like right, right, by, right, and, right, and like first or second, like right next to Art and Design. No, I went to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, and it was diverse there. Yes, my friends were Italian though, which was weird, but so. there were a lot of Latin people in the school as well. We lived right near the 59th Street Bridge, and my father was the super of the building there. Oh, okay. And so my mom saved my dad's money, $6,000 from um, him playing in a Latin band. He mm -hmm. had a Latin band. Oh, I didn't know that. And so, yeah, he started the band. He sang in it. He wrote songs. He even wrote a couple of records wow. that came out. But anyway, so she, she saved that money, and they went to Long Beach, Long Island which was where I became a writer, I swear, in my head, because wow. it was just a whole other ballgame there. So how does um, you think the thing that we were both, we, we are, were talking about like two seconds ago about how the different perceptions for language and, and, and culture between like people from our generation and people now, how do you think that affects what we did as art or what other people are doing as art now? I'm sorry. What? Okay. <laughs> the thing, like, okay, like the most, like, okay. like how my parents wouldn't speak, wouldn't, wouldn't teach oh, us Spanish, okay. and like how your your parents like one way okay. in front of like Caucasian people and another way in front of us. Like how my parents would only speak Spanish to their own relatives. Do you think that that colored what we what we did later as artists? I mean, colored like like influenced like color, right? I think that what we did in what that was very similar is that we told our truths. Yes. And by telling our truths, we we kind of free those people that are in those same situations. Because as Puerto Ricans, we're not all the same. No. We all have different experiences. Of course. We have different religions, yes. different faiths, different, just different. And as do Dominicans, yes. Just as Dominicans and do Or Cubans, or Colombians, or Venezuelans, or Mexicans. And we're from or, New York. Yeah. That's an experience. We're born and raised. Someone in L.A., someone anywhere else, Texas, Florida, it's going to have a different. Chicago. How about all the Puerto Ricans that are going to um, Orlando now? I know. That experience is very different than the Lower East Side, yes. Puerto Rican. Yeah. And I didn't grow up on the Lower East Side or in the Bronx. I was 61st and 1st. Yeah, Manhattan girl. The Latin <laughs> from Manhattan. So, yeah. Um, but I think we both told our truths. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, my, my whole thing is that I'm wondering when we, as Latinos, are going to, like, be... I recognized, legitimized. I'm not sure what the right word for it is as as artists because like we have not had our big breakthrough movie yeah we have not had our big breakthrough um tv show or breakthrough i don't even know what you want to call it we're not, gonna have, a, we're not gonna have a breakthrough we're gonna have mini big breakthroughs Good. and jane the virgin is is, is 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 an example of that we're gonna have we, we're we're doing it but I think it's we have to do it. Ourselves. Our, yeah. Ourselves or get out there and connect with people who get our stories. Because other people that don't have the same experience, they they look at it and they either try to add to it or they try to dilute it or they try to... Oh, some, that's that's an outside thing. You know, this is, this is live radio, people. Anything can happen. So... It's 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 such a balance. It's such oh my god. <laughs> I'm kidding. Adderall. Time for the Adderall. It's it's just such a delicate balance. It is. It is. And I think we're getting somewhere. And I think there was a time where I got very frustrated that there was nothing happening. The truth is, you make it happen. Every time Michelle Carlos decides to work on something else, well, there's hope. There's something else. There's another avenue. Just like what I've taken to photography. 
Yeah. It's the same thing. So now I have a, a, a an additional thing, another way of showing Latinas. Yes, Latina icons. Latina icons, which we're working on the Afro-Latina version series. This She has an actress model that she um, dresses up as famous Latinos from, Actually, like, six, six different models. Oh, six? This, oh, I thought yes, those were the same one. Yes, no, that was the launch series oh, with Rebecca. Okay. Um, so this is going to be from. This is really what the series is about: is diversity. So that's great, and that's yeah. what that's what we're about. Linda, do you have anything you want to say to any? If there are any millennials or younger people listening, oh, keep writing, keep creating, keep being, uh, keep hoping, keep keep hope alive, keep doing what you do because it's going to turn into something one day. Yes, and our stories need to be included and we need people to know that we matter, man. That's we right. matter, we you do. know. That's like just like me. I'm I, I had no idea how to do a radio show 6 weeks ago. I still don't. But it doesn't stop me. That's it's what like I punk. love about us. It's like punk, Latin <laughs> punk. All right, Linda, thank, thank you. you Michelle. And that's our show. This has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. If you liked what you've heard today, please consider supporting the show with Patreon. Just go to the Fish Out of Agua page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and click on the green Sponsor This Show button. It's that easy. Now we'll leave you today with a song that pretty much says everything that I'm thinking right now. And next week, <laughs> next year, we'll continue our regular story show. And a happy, merry, peaceful healthy and delicious 2017 to us all from John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band in 1971.